a, a businessman that was speaking at a, a conference in the, the town amphitheater. And as he was speaking, he told them, he said, you know, I don't always lose my focus, but when I do, squirrel. Sorry, I just had to do that. I had to get it out of my system. It was in my notes. Some people lose focus, and some people have the wrong focus. A couple of friends were hanging out at a coffee shop, having a cup of coffee together, and at one point, one friend said to the other, look, you're never going to be able to please everybody. So just focus on me. That's the kind of friend you want, right? Just, just me. Just, just pay attention to me. Whether you lose your focus, whether you have the wrong focus, a report out this week might be a help to you. Might be something that will help you along the way. It's a report from Psychology Today. What they did is they evaluated 527 placebo-controlled studies about supplements that help you focus. And as of those studies, they, they pulled uh, just a handful that they said had the most science behind it, the most positive, healthy science behind it. Now, in that short list of things that they pulled out, yes, caffeine was one of the things, okay? Now, for our coffee lovers, though, I'm not going to use that as an example because then I would also have to tell you about the risk and the legal issues associated with caffeine. Yeah, that's right. You could go to jail for drinking too much coffee. I mean, the side effects of drinking too much coffee. Some of you have been pretty close to that. You're just not willing to admit it yet. On the positive side, if you're a big coffee drinker, you probably will always win a blinking contest because your eyes will never close. You'll always be wide awake. One of the supplements in the study was known as Bacopa Monieri. I think I'm saying that right. It's an herb that's found in wetlands really all over the world. It's also known as water hyssop, thyme-leafed gradiola, herb of grace, and Indian pennywort. Now, I just don't think I want to focus enough to put anything in my body that has the word wart on it. I think I ought to be all right, just like I am. Don't know about the wart. The benefits of this little herb uh, provide a small improvement in some of the following areas. Mood, nervousness, memory, energy, and cognitive processing. So there's some positives, but there are some risks. According to the study, it was likely that about 50% of the people had some digestive issues from this supplement. And then a very small amount of people had some of the following things. Headache, insomnia, vivid dreams, drowsiness, allergies, skin rash, vertigo, palpitations, nausea, muscular fatigue, cramps, and the last two, increase in felt stress and a worsened mood. Yeah, when I want to focus, I want to be more stressed out and I want to be in a bad mood. So yeah, that's, that's a good supplement to take. It's been said that you are controlled by what you focus on. So, a little question for your mind and heart today. What's, what's controlling you today? What's controlling you? What, what are you focusing on? Because what you focus on will control you. Now, I can't speak for Indian pennywort, but I can speak to stress. <laughs> and all of us can speak to anxiety and stress and frustration and all those things in life. So I don't know about the Indian pennywort, but I can tell you this. There, there is something to focus on. There is this one focus that can change your life 
and it only has one known lasting side effect. And that side effect is satisfaction. So, what kind of focus has satisfaction? Let's find out. Apostle Paul was writing to some folks in the ancient city of Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the first part of verse 13. He says this, But now faith, hope, love abide these three. What does it mean for something to abide? Well, it means that it remains, that it stays. It's, it's still there. It sticks around. Now, if we back up to the previous sentences of what Paul's talking about, we'll see that what he's trying to explain here is this, that, that you can be a person that, that preaches a charismatic, wonderful sermon or a, a great Zoom class on the prophecies of God and, and the end times. But the prophecy is temporary. It does not abide. It will not stay. It will not remain. That's not what it is. Or Paul would say that someone can step into a situation in a, in a parking lot somewhere here in our country or in a, a marketplace in another part of the world and they suddenly and supernaturally in a moment will have the ability to speak or understand a language they have no prior knowledge of or it could be that someone in a, a private prayer time or in a church service has some non-normal utterance that comes out of their mouth and in any of those tongues, any of those languages, any of those utterances, they will not abide. They will not stay. They will not remain. They are temporary. Or someone can can have the ability to take all of the, the deep knowledge from the Bible all of the historical authenticities, all of the, the tongues and the languages and the philosophies and the theologies, and they're able to connect all of those dots, but that knowledge will not abide. It will not stay. It will not remain. It is temporary. The picture that Paul is painting for us here is that there's only three things that will remain. Only three things that will survive, so to speak. And, and what will they survive? Well, by the the nature of what they are, they will survive every pandemic spread. They will survive every polarizing opinion. They'll survive every political election. They'll survive every potential health issue, every personal tragedy, and every promised reality. And those three things that will survive are simply this, faith, hope, and love. Those are the things that will stay. Those are the things that will remain. Those are the things that will abide. So let's just camp out on each one of those for just a moment. Why will faith survive? Why will faith remain? Why will faith stay? Well, because faith, first and most, is from God. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, Paul says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Now, someone can boast about having a a sermon or, or a Zoom class where they say they have this prophetic vision. that that an angel has come to them and the the vision is that on February 29th, 2024, that a a certain politician 
is going to do away with democracy and, and create a, a new evil world order. And that new evil world order is not going to be you know, created through the Democratic Party or the Republican Party, but it's going to be the Jumanji Party that's going to create this. And, and the reason we know that all of this is true and that this prophetic vision is, is real is because the headquarters of the Jumanji Party is going to be at 222 Chicken Gristle Road in Washington, D.C., now, why in the world would 222 Chicken Gristle Road be proof that this prophetic vision is real? Well, because if you take 222 and you multiply it by 3, well, you get a number from the Bible that just blows open the whole agenda of the Jumanji party. Yeah, hopefully you know all of this is made up, but, you know, somebody can boast about that. Somebody can say, oh, boy, I've, I've had a vision. Let me tell you about my vision. Let me, let me create a website about my vision. Let me, let me create a ministry around my vision. Please send me your money so I can build a headquarters next door to the Jumanji headquarters. We're going we're gonna to keep this vision going. So you can, you can boast about a vision. You can boast about a sermon. You can boast about a Zoom class. But you cannot boast that your prophetic vision makes you right with God. Only faith does that. And faith is first and most a gift of God. Faith is not temporary. It abides. It stays. It remains. Because faith is from God, and faith takes us to God, and God is the one true, ultimate, lasting reality in the universe. Faith abides. What about hope? Why will hope survive? Why will hope stay? Why will hope remain? Well, by definition, hope is a, a feeling, a desire, an expectation that a certain thing is going to happen, right? I mean, we, we hope for lots of things, right? We hope that our team will win. We hope to get a good grade on a test. We hope that our, our kids do good in school and they graduate. We hope that our grandkids get good jobs, we hope that the doctor has good news for us. We hope that, that we will, on our way to lunch in Charleston, will make it to, to Ted's Butcher Block before they run out of the grilled hamburgers they make on the green egg out back. You know, we, we hope for things in life. We, we hope. But that's not the hope that Paul's talking about. Paul's talking about a different kind of hope. When he was writing his letter to his friend Titus, he he began the greeting by saying he was writing with this in mind. Titus chapter 1, verse 2. I'm writing in the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised long ages ago. The hope that Paul is talking about is, is the ultimate hope, eternal life. The hope of all hopes. Think about it this way. Every single person in the universe will live forever. Everybody has eternal life. Eternal life with God or eternal life separated from God. Those are the only options. Now, even if somebody doesn't believe in God, they understand the concept of being separated from something good, separated from something that they love. A mom who's just had her, her first baby understands that there may be a time where they take the baby down the hall for, you know, an hour or so to, to do some normal pediatric observation. But that mom has a confident hope that that separation is temporary. And in about an hour or so, that, that baby's going to be back in her arms. Eternity is not temporary. Eternity is not just down the hall. Eternity is forever. 
forever with God or forever separated from God. Those are the only two options. An eternal separation from something that's good, eternal separation from the one thing that is good and happy and holy and satisfying does not create hope. Being separated from that which is perfect and good, perfect in love, perfect in grace, perfect in mercy, perfect in joy, perfect in peace. Being separated from that doesn't create hope. It kills hope. So the picture is today, if you're in Christ, no one can ever steal your hope. And if you're not in Christ, if you're not a believer, there is no true hope. A mom with that new baby understands that everything in her life has changed. She has a a whole new perspective on joy, a whole new perspective on hope. Some of the things in her life, good things like her education, her career, her gardening skills, her, her exercise goals, even her travel plans, they're good, but but they lose their shine and their shimmer compared to this new life in her arms. So what is this thing that Christianity offers? What is it that we're offering with the whole notion, the concept of Christianity? William Barclay put it this way. It is the offer of God's power for our frustration, of God's serenity for our dispeace, of God's truth for our guessing, of God's goodness for our moral failure, of God's joy for our sorrow. And he says this, the Christian gospel does not in the first place offer men an intellectual creed or a moral code. It offers them life, the very life of God. That's what the Christian gospel has to offer the world, the life of God. See, the hope of eternal life, the hope that Paul is speaking of, is the hope of life in God, the life of God. That is the hope of all hopes. There there is no hope that compares to that. So that's why we say that hope is not temporary, that hope abides, that hope stays, that hope remains, because hope is... Is from God. And hope takes us to God. And God is the one true, ultimate, lasting reality in the universe. Hope abides. What about love? Why will love survive? Why will love remain? Why will love stay? Well, again, because love is first and most from God. Hope is first and most from God. Faith is first and most from God. Love is kind of like hope. We, we have things that we love, right? We love our team. We love good grades. We love our kids. We love our grandkids. We love good news from the doctor. We love a burger grilled on a green egg at Ted's Butcher Block. You're going to want to go, I promise, you know, but you have to get there early, really. They really do run out. We love things. But that's not the kind of love that Paul's talking about. He's talking about God's kind of love. And what is God's kind of love? Well, God's kind of love is love. (laughs) See, God's love is where love comes from. God's love is the origin story of love. Without God's love, there is no love. It doesn't exist. John put it very simply this way in 1 John 4, 8. God is love. 
He's love. He's, he's the definition, the embodiment of love. There's no concept of love if God doesn't exist because love is God. God is love. Love comes from God. It is who he is. Have you ever seen a, a weather vane on top of a building, a house, or something like that? It's usually like a, like a rooster, you know, and it's got a little direction arrow, and, and it spins around, lets you know which way the wind's blowing. There's little markers, north, south, east, and west. There's a story about a farmer that put a, a weather vane up on his barn, but it was not a rooster on top. On top, it just simply said, God is love. A little snarky guy came walking by one day and saw it up there on top of the barn and went over to the farmer and he's like, so, does that mean uh, your God changes with the wind? And the farmer said, no, it means that no matter which way the wind is blowing, God is love. It's who he is. It's his character. It can't be changed. So when we say that, that love abides, we're saying that love is not temporary. It stays, it remains, it abides, it survives. Because love is from God and love takes us to God. And God is the one true, ultimate, lasting reality in the universe. But as they used to sing on Sesame Street, one of these things is not like the other. So which one is not like the other? Well, Paul tells us in the last part of verse 13, but the greatest of these is love. Why? Why is love the greatest? Why not faith? Why not hope? Why is, why is love the greatest? I saw something this week that, that put it this way. God could have planned all of this out in a completely different way. God could have made faith the greatest. He, he could have made faith the greatest and, and looked out on the people in the world and said, you know what? I just, I got a feeling, you know? I just got a feeling that, that they're just, they're going to come to their senses, you know? They're going to they're grow up and, and grow out of it a little bit, and, and they're going to they're gonna turn their lives around. And, and I just have faith in them. See, God knows better than that. Or he could have made hope the greatest thing. could have made hope the greatest thing and, and looked out on, on humanity and said, you know what? I just, I just feel like they are going to come to their senses. You know, they, they're going to choose life over death. I just, I hope that they will change. But see, God knows better than that too. And that's why he made love the greatest. Love is, is the greatest of that which will abide and remain and stay and survive. Why? Because God first loved. That's why it remains. If God is love and God loves first, then that means it has to be the greatest. How much did God love? Well, he so loved, he so dearly prized the world and you that he sacrificed, gave up his one and only son. And Jesus loved you and gave himself up for you. And the, the plan since before the foundations of the world were that for those who would believe in Jesus and rely on Jesus and trust in Jesus and cling to Jesus, that they would not perish or be destroyed, but they would rather instead have ultimate, eternal, everlasting, satisfying life. That's what the love of God does. And so a question for your heart today is, do you have that 
Do you have that life? Has the love of God so captured your heart, so captured your mind, that you've turned, you've repented, you're following Jesus in such a way that beyond a shadow of a doubt, you know that there will come a time that you will only ultimately die once and then you will live forever in and around and in the middle of the love of God. Do you know that? Is that life in you? Well, how would you know? How would you know if you have that life? I mean, is calling the church office and just making sure your name is on the computer, is, is that enough? Or is there another way? Well, Jesus gave us two amazingly simple measurements to help us see eternal life in our lives. This is what he said, Matthew chapter 22. Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. And then he went on to say this. Second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So, do you love God? Look, I'm, I'm going to keep it pretty simple. I'm not going to try to explain that one. I'm not going to try to expound it. I'm not going to try to preach another sermon on it. Just, we're just going to leave it real and leave it simple. Do you love God? Do you love God? I mean, just, let's just go last seven days, okay? Just look back over the last seven days. Look at, look at your attitude about things. Look at your outlook on things. Look at your approach to things. Look at your apathy about things. Look at, look at any way that you have approached anything in life. And when you look at your attitudes and your actions, the normal things of your life, the normal things of who you are, is there something in there that says, yes, I love God? Now look, we're not talking about being perfect. None of us are perfect. We're just saying, do you love God? You know, it's... Is it a pretty simple question to answer in your life? Or do you have to hesitate? Do you have to think through it? Do you have to try to remember when you went to church last? Or can you just say, yeah, I, my heart has been captured by the gospel and I love God. Because if you can answer that first question, it really helps to answer the second question that Jesus put out there. And that is this, do you love other people? Do you love God and do you love others? J.C. Ryle asked it this way. What is your temperament? What are your ways of behaving toward all around you in your own family? What is your manner of speaking, especially in seasons of irritation and provocation? Where is your good nature, your courtesy, your patience, your meekness, your gentleness, your toleration? Where are your practical actions of love in your dealing with others? They're hard questions, but they're easy questions. I mean... It's not like we have to go, ah, I don't know the answers to that. We know the answers to it. Like immediately, we, we kind of know where our love meter is. This is what Jesus said in John 13. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So, so the very nature of our lives is a reflection of whether or not we love God by the way that we love others. So do you love God and do you love others? There's a story about a little boy that one day was talking, don't know who he was talking with, maybe mom, grandma, or teacher, I don't know. He said, you know what, if my grandfather goes to heaven, I hope my brother and I don't go to heaven. Somebody said, well, why in the world would you say that? And he said, well, 
I'm just thinking that in heaven, he'd be the same way that he is here. And they said, well, how is he here? Well, here, anytime my brother and I are around, he always says, what are these boys doing here? Get them out of here. Get them away from me. He said, so I just assume that if he doesn't want us around on earth, he won't want us around in heaven. That's a pretty good reflection of, of where our love is. Again, none of us are perfect, you know. But I was told today as grandparents' day, so grandparents, if your grandkids think that about you, bless your heart. <laughs> and, and by all means, run to the Lord. Now run to the Lord today. Do you love God and do you love others? Now remember, loving others includes people that don't look like you, don't dress like you, don't think like you, don't eat like you, don't vote like you. They don't exercise like you. They don't spend money the same way you do. They don't cheer for the same team that you cheer for. Loving others is not always just loving people who are like us. And let me see if I can make it more practical and even more difficult for us. Who's someone you're having a hard time loving right now? Who's somebody you're struggling loving right now. It might be a political candidate. It might be an attending physician. It might be a nagging spouse. It might be an apathetic spouse. It might be an overprotective parent. It might be a meddling grandparent. It might be the guy who just got the last hamburger at Ted's Butcher Block. You know, I don't know. You know, Who is it that you're having a hard time loving? So you got their name, their, their face, in, in your head now, is it kind of crossing your mind? Okay, hang on to that name, hang on to that face, hang on to that person, and let's, let's kind of step into this for just, just a moment. Wendy Alsop is a writer, a, a blogger, a writer, a speaker, a single mom with two boys, and she lives on the old family farm here in South Carolina. Interestingly, she has a heart for teaching the truth of the Bible to folks who have a, a strong feministic uh, leaning. Uh, if you go to my my notes this week on the website, I'll, I'll put a, a link uh, to her ministry page. But this is what Wendy says. If you're in a season of struggle with those God has called you to love, God doesn't expect you to change your loved one. All right, so let's just do this. Some of us are going to want to roll our eyes and do a little ugh on the inside, like, ugh, love again, loving people I don't want to love right now. I got it, I got it, I got it, but Hang in there with it. Just get the ug out, get the rolled eyes out, and then, and then we'll move on. Okay. Here's what she says next. God's call is to bear long in love, to endure, and to believe the best for that person while he changes them. <laughs> Some of us are wanting to roll our eyes again. Another ug, because we're like, hey, I've been at this a while, been at this a few weeks, few months, few years, and God doesn't seem to be changing them. So I, I don't understand this thing. I'm supposed to, to bear long in love. All right, let's keep going. Wendy goes on. And if you're not in that season but are friends with someone who is, weigh carefully the tone of your suggestions or your encouragements. In other words, if you have permission or even if you feel like you have permission, just always be wise with how you tell people to handle their relationships. After 30 years of doing this, I can say this. Most of the time, people just want you to listen. 
They, they really don't want your opinion about how to fix any relationship in their life. Sometimes they do, but, but sometimes they just need somebody to listen. And so we do need to be wise in our encouragements and our advice and our counsel. It's, it's good for us to give good biblical counsel. We need to give good biblical counsel. But sometimes just remember to be a good listener first. And then, as God opens the door, share his truth. Wendy goes on to say this, Hold your friend up as they bear long and patiently endure. Believe with them that grace works. And that loving unconditionally for the long haul is the most effective tool we have for influencing change in the ones we love. Now, we really have to hear that again because everything in us fights against that sentence, okay? Especially in 2020, you know, we are an instant, immediate gratification culture. I don't care how old you are. If you're eight, you want it now. If you're 88, you want it now. This is our entire culture. We are a want-it-now people. It's, it's who we've become. And so this picture is, is difficult and hard, but it is beautiful. So listen to it again. Believe with them that grace works and that loving unconditionally for the long haul is the most effective tool we have for influencing change in the ones we love. This is what she says next. May you and I rest from our attempts to change our loved ones and find refuge in God's ability and his promise to do so. And then she says this. And may the greatest peer pressure we put on each other in such situations be to bear in love for the long haul. Let me ask you a question. What's the greatest peer pressure in your life right now? Yeah. It doesn't matter how old you are. We, we hear peer pressure and we think teenagers. I'm telling you, some of the greatest peer pressure that I've ever seen in my life over the last 30 years starts about age 65 or 70. You know? it's, it's peer pressure in every age group. It's, it's different peer pressure. You know? It may not be the peer pressure to go hang out with cool kids, but it's the peer pressure to go you know, hang out at the, the breakfast joint and spend three hours over coffee talking about how to fix the world, you know, or, or being on the phone or being at the beauty shop gossiping or whatever it is. There's, there's plenty of peer pressure for every single age group. So what's the greatest peer pressure in your life right now? What, what do you feel the most pressure in in your life? Is it love? I mean, isn't that interesting terminology? Is the greatest peer pressure in your life right now love? Are the people in your life, and I'm just going to throw us as, as believers in the conversation, are the Christians in your life pressuring you toward love? Is that the greatest peer pressure? And what is the greatest peer pressure that you're giving? Is, is the greatest peer pressure you're giving the pressure of love? Or is it your political opinions or your pandemic opinions or your football prognostications or whatever else it is? Or is it love? Why should love be the greatest peer pressure? Why should love be the greatest peer pressure, especially for believers? It's because love is the greatest thing in the universe. It's, it's the greatest of all. And so the, the reason that we should bear in love for the long haul as believers is because we've been given something. We have something. If you're here and, and you're a believer, if you're watching online and you're a Christian, you have something. Not just something. You have three things. Three things that have been given to you by God. Three things that cannot ever be taken away from you. Why? Because they came from God. 
They are leading you to God. And one day they will connect you for all eternity with God. And what are those three things? Faith, hope, and love. That's it. Faith, hope, and love. But those are the three things that you've been given. Those are the three things that help your life. They change your life. They give you the ability to breathe in the hardest and most difficult moments of life. But the greatest of those is love. Why? Why is love the greatest? Well, love the greatest because God loved you. God sent Jesus to save you. Own that as a verse, a truth for you. Not not just the general God so loved the world. God so dearly loved you that he gave Jesus to save you. And Jesus so loved you that he gave himself up for you. No matter what way the wind is blowing, there is no greater love than that. The wind will blow differently this afternoon and tomorrow. The wind will blow differently in the, in the news. The wind will blow differently at your doctor's appointment and at the hospital or, or in traffic. The, the wind will always be blowing differently. But the reality of God's love, no matter which direction, The winds may blow. God's love is always real. It is always true. And his love through Jesus is the greatest love we'll ever know. What the world needs now is love. Not not just loving others in general, but they need this love that never fails, that never gives up that saves, that redeems, that rescues, that helps, that heals, that gives faith, that gives hope, that defines love. There is no greater love than the love of God.